Hello, friends, and welcome to Boat 502, your home port for news and information about boating on the Ohio River in and around Louisville, Kentucky. Thanks for joining us, and welcome aboard. Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to Cruising the River with Boat 502. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. William Glass, Musco Boating, and Ben Keaton on the control panel, as always. Ben, you can talk today. From afar? Like you're going to hear me from a really far away because <laughs> I don't get a microphone, but I can talk. Hey, Thanks, you know, guys. budget cuts, inflation, <laughs> a lot of things we're dealing with here in the studio. Uh, we're also glad to be joined once again by our great friends, Rob Profiter, Mike Swicegood with Boat Owners United Louisville Chapter. Guys, how you doing? Doing good. 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 How, how you guys back? doing? Doing great. Doing great. So uh, on our last episode, uh, we talked about, um, you know, some of our friends to the north who are having to winterize their boats right now. Some of our friends at different lakes around the region where the uh, water levels are being drawn down by the Corps, the TVA, and they can't boat anymore. But we still can. So fall boating on the Ohio is a big deal. And it's a great time of year. I mean, so, you know, what do you guys think? Fall? Should people still be out there on the river? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Fall, September, October are some of my favorite months. Weather cools down, water cleans up, still some good events. Like this past weekend, Rob and I went up to, took our boats up to Grassy, pulled up on the beach, had a bonfire, hung out, hopped on a buddy's boat, went up to Summers for some, some lunch. Great time. Very relaxing, very nice. Yeah, thinking about that, a bonfire on the, on the, on the shore is a pretty cool idea. Oh, yeah. It attracted William to pull over there and... Which I heard probably sold a boat, is what I oh, understand. Oh, definitely. Uh, we we definitely the, should the, get commission on that deal. I mean, somebody cruising by thinking, I might buy this boat, and then they see the lifestyle opportunity of pulling up on the shore, having a bonfire, probably took care of about 80% of the reason it sold. Absolutely. Yeah. And we told them, like, a boat's like this, you don't ever have to work on them. You just get on them and go. So the guy was sold. Yeah, which is really <laughs> true with most boats. It, it, they're, I mean, they're plug and play. You turn them on, they go. There never, there's never a problem. Never, never an issue. And and yeah, yeah. They, they they definitely made boating look good over there on that bank. <laughs> they did, they did. You know, but that reminds me, when in the rare case something goes wrong with your boat or you need some supplies for your boat, we want to thank one of our great sponsors, Marine Sales and Service. Great sponsor of Boat Five Hundred Two. Great local business. And, uh, you know, again, if you need something for your boat, if you're looking for, you know, supplies, uh, you know, maybe looking to, uh, to to buy a new boat, great folks down there at Marine Sales. William, you know those guys. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I know a little bit about them. I I've, I've, um, might have an office down there. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've been around for a long time. They, they started back in 1945, and one of the owner-operators, Doug Peggy, he's um, the grandson of the gentleman that started it and is um, so it's still family owned uh, it's it's virtually a full service facility uh, haul out there's uh, 11 acres there and they store like this winter they're going to store about 400 boats pretty awesome new used in brokerage good deal once again thanks to marine sales and service for their support of the show and helping make it possible so um, you really appreciate that so uh, on our last episode, we talked a little bit about uh, fall boating, as we just mentioned. Um, and one of the events that uh, William talked about was uh, Chautauqua up in Madison. Now, we talked about it from afar, but uh, Rob, Mike, you guys went up there. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. You know, what would you do to plan it? What could you do while you were there docking? You know, let's... I'll let you take it first. Okay. Well, initially, when we go to plan it out, we'll 
call the marina, River's Edge Marina, and get a hold of the owner and tell them you know, how many boats are coming up, what size, what kind of power you need, 30 amp, 50 amp. And they also offer golf carts, which is nice. So we can rent golf carts. Just call ahead and, you know, just schedule everything. Tell them what you're planning on doing and how many boats are coming up and, and all that. It's uh, usually actually a pretty simple process. They're very, the marina up there is very accommodating. Yeah, we've docked up there a few times. Pretty easy to do. Now, there's a lot more boats there that time, I'm sure. Yeah. But, Rob? So, it was my first year going up there, and it was it was a great time. A uh, lot of lot of art to go see and uh, all the vendors and stuff. And there was other boats at uh, the lighthouse that we went and had a potluck dinner with and stuff like that. Now, I will say about the golf carts, that first night trying to get back to river's edge oh yeah a lot of we, the streets are shut down and blocked off the, for, the, for the art show they're shut down for the art show and there's one-way streets and you end up in alleys with speed bumps and but after that first night we were good you we were found expert our, by yeah, that point yeah. yeah it's a little confusing initially but you you figure it out <laughs> so cool so i guess uh now how do you rent the golf carts once you're up there you can rent rent them mm-hmm. how do you rent them uh you can rent them through the marina and there's also a place in town that you can rent them from as well okay but if you call to the marina and say, hey, you know, I'm staying here, um, I need, like, we had seven, six golf carts for everybody. So, and they, they brought them right down to us, and you just walk up the ramp after you dock, and it's set right there with the key and it ready for you. Good deal. William, you've been up there before. You know, you can tell us a little bit about your experience up at Chautauqua and Madison in general. Yeah, it's, um, um, it's a very friendly little town, nice little restaurants, bars. Um, the, uh, just walking the streets is so there's so much uh to, to see and do and it's a it's a it's a nice little town i yeah. recommend it an easy cruise up there whether you want to go slow and make it a three or you know three and a half hour trip or you know hammer down a little bit and get there quicker uh yep. it's only about 34 miles i guess from uh, maybe captain's quarters yeah 34 to 30 i've heard 34 to 38 from cq roughly okay. so yeah we uh on the way back we we stopped in uh sandy cove and ate and enjoyed some football because it was a sunday when we were coming back and it was a good good cruise up and cru- good cruise back mm-hmm Good deal. Yeah, it's one of those places that, uh, you know, you don't have to go through locks, which we're going to talk about in a second, but uh, easy trip and, um, you know, great place to go. Gives you a good destination. You know, obviously it's, you know, pretty easy around here. Cruise downtown, cruise over to, you know, Party Cove, cruise up to Sand Cove, but gives you a great place to go, a place to get off the boat if you want. Great place to have lunch there at, uh, at Lighthouse. Uh, you know, Rivercrest, there's some transient slips up there, both at Rivercrest and at Lighthouse. So, um Shipley's, you got to have a Shipley hamburger. Absolutely. Oh, tell me now. Okay, coming in from the producer's room, those hamburgers are incredible. I mean, the the greasy grill, I I will say, I've got to make a comment on that, and I love Shipley's, and it's still good, but they got a new owner last year, and if they get real busy, I was sitting there, and I was talking to this guy at the bar. Didn't know who he was. Burger came out, I took a few bites, and I'm like, it's the first one I've had in a couple years. Something's different. And the guy leans over, he goes, you don't like the burger? I said, no, I like it, but something's different. And I, once I realized I oh, took the bun off, the bun wasn't toasted. And that's a big thing on the Shipley's burger. Uh, and he right. goes, I said, oh, the bun's not toasted. He goes, well, he introduced himself. He said, I'm the new owner, just bought this place. You know, I'm trying to make some changes. And I looked at him, I said, you can make changes. Don't change the burger. That's why people that. come here. I said, do not change the burger. He kind of looked at me. I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> all right. So we're all going to make a trip up there, hold them accountable for that. Yes. Make sure that gotta, those great burgers. Got to toast the burger. The Absolutely. Buns. Absolutely. So, Rob, something else. I'm jealous. You've done something. 
that I want to do. I'm trying to get my family to get out and do it, but you've done it, so I'm going to talk about it. So recently you, one, congrats, you have a new family member. Thank you. If you want to tell us about that a little bit. So exactly one month today, we went down to Evansville and bought a 86 Marinette sedan. Um, it's what I've been looking for. It was my end game. Uh, it popped up the Tuesday after Labor Day. Went and looked at it the following weekend, and then the weekend after that, we went down and brought it up. Mike helped me bring it up. We had to go through three locks, and it was uh, probably the coolest adventure of my life. Awesome. So that's right. This boat was not, you know, local per se. You bought it, you know, down river a ways. So, you know, maybe walk us through, like, kind of how you found it, and then, um, you know, maybe the process of bringing her back. It popped up on a Marinette, popped up on a Marinette group on Facebook, and he had it listed on Craigslist. And uh, it's exactly what I've been looking for. So I messaged him. He said, you're the first person to message me. Um, I said, well, we're wanting to come look at it this weekend. And so we went down and did a sea trial on it. Loved it. Um, then the following weekend, went, went down to get it. We went down on a Friday night, stayed on the boat Friday night. The next day went 80 miles to Rocky Point. Uh, so where'd you where'd you pick it up? What was the Evan, uh, New Plaza? New Plaza Yacht Club. Okay, Yacht Club. Gotcha. So that's on the other side of uh, what, what? It's just downriver from actual Evansville, downtown Evansville. Okay. It's like a mile, two miles, just downriver from Evansville. So uh, we had to go through two locks to get to um, Rocky Point, which is the only fuel stop between there and here. And really the only fuel stop between there and once you get down to the Tennessee River and the Ohio, right, in Paducah. Yes. It's, a, it's a big stretch there for a little well, while. Well, New there Plaza is. has fuel, okay. the marina we were coming from. So we filled up there, and um, we got stuck at the second set of locks for four hours. Yeah, we got through Newburgh very easily. We called ahead, told them, you know, we were upbound, pleasure craft, and we just pulled right on in. And we got to Candleton, and we waited for four and a half hours. Four, four and a half hours. Because they had one chamber down, and they were having the, the chamber they have open is a smaller one, so the barges were having to bust up, take some of them through, and then go back and get the other one. So, what well, we got through. What the the kicker was was Rocky Point. The guy that owns it was gone for the weekend. The guy that was running it was going to be in a bass tournament on Sunday. And he Priority, leaving. obviously. Yeah, I obviously. understand. He was yeah. leaving at 5 o'clock on Saturday because he had to be up early. So we weren't going to get fuel, and it was our only fuel stop. Um, we didn't make it. He was closed. Um, luckily, we were checking in on social media where our whereabouts is, and I had a, uh angel come down from <laughs> yeah. somewhere. He saved uh, us. A, bo- a boating angel. Yes. A good friend of mine who I have not talked to in seven years messaged me and said, hey, I moved to Rocky Point two years ago. Me and my mom's going to come down and take you to the gas station. And he drove us three trips to the gas station to get us fueled up. So that got us the... God bless people like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was amazing. We did stop in Leavenworth. Leavenworth? <coughs> uh, yeah, Leavenworth. And another boater, Mark Garwood, brought us a couple extra cans just to make sure that we were going to make it in. Because we weren't, we weren't 100% sure the fuel gauges were correct, which they were. But... Wait a minute, gas yeah. gauge on a boat not accurate. It's the first time I've ever heard that. Right. <laughs> and when you're doing and when you're doing the math on it, it's like, are we correct or is it correct? Or 
is it off or so? Yeah, we were trying to calculate because one gauge we thought was pretty accurate, but the other one we knew it was pretty much completely dead. So after getting fuel two times and the mileage and the RPM we were running and what we were supposed to, we thought we would be getting, you know, miles per gallon at that RPM and that speed. So we started calculating it and we we thought we were we were about 20 gallons off, but we were 20 gallons to the plus. So, which was not too bad. And ba- on a boat and we better didn't than know. being 20 the other way. Right. Right. So, right. so um, it was it was a great adventure, great time. Uh, I did get to go through three locks for my first time. Uh, it was definitely an experience. To, uh, I don't even know what to compare it to. I know that it to me it seemed like a horror movie when the gates close and all the sounds and the water's moving up and but it was fairly easy to get through all three of them uh other than us having to wait outside one for and we just anchored out and cooked dinner for the night and um did that until they called us in and i think the only reason why we got in in four hours instead of six hours which is what they originally told us is the american heritage was behind us and they were trying to get it through too so yeah that helped yeah. Always good to have friends out there mm-hmm. who, who also need to go the same direction. Right. So and I was joking around with William about this the other day because we were thinking of going through Marklin uh, on a trip uh, coming up soon. We haven't done it yet. But um, it was asking him, you know, you know, okay, I go through a lock. Obviously, you know, what, what do I say to him? I'm afraid I'm going to get on there and be like, uh, uh, hello. Um, <laughs> Not hi, not. how are you? <laughs> uh, but uh, you, you obviously did it a few times. I mean, you know, Mike, William, what um, – What's the proper procedure? You know, obviously Rob is now a veteran of doing this. So, uh, but for for newbies like me, you know, when I when we finally go through a lock, what's the procedure for doing that? And kind of some tips. What I would, they like to have you contact them when you see them. Don't call them out on the radio, and you're still three hours away from them. When you see them, reach out to them on the radio. They monitor sixteen and thirteen, and um, they will let you know whether or not they're going to be ready for you. Sometimes you can contact them. The gates will be open. They say, come on in. Uh, and then there could be some other times where uh, there's some barge traffic or locks down. Something's taking place, and they'll just tell you to hold off somewhere or may even suggest that you tie up to a, a lower lock wall. Uh, there's actually a stoplight, traffic light, mm-hmm. that yeah. red, green, and uh, yellow. And uh, it'll turn green when the doors are fully open. They want you to come in. Uh, you tie off to a, a, a floating ballard. You, uh, they do recommend everybody to have their life jackets on, the, 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 especially anybody that's on the deck. The doors are closed. The water, depending upon where you're going, up or down, is going to go up or down. And when it's done, the other doors are going to open, and you still stay put until you hear, hear the, the, the solid horn blow. The traffic light turns green, and he may even say, thank you. You're good to go. You're, when you transit in and out through these lock walls, you do it at an idle speed because you can still, even though you're a small boat, you can still cause damage to the doors. Yeah. And then you, um, once when you're out of there, you're, you're done. The first several ones are kind of intimidating. When you pull into high concrete walls and a door closes behind you and water's leaking through the doors that are upriver from you, it makes you swallow a little hard mm-hmm. thinking, Oh, this is unique. <laughs> but after you go through a few of them, it's it's, it's good. Yeah, I agree to your point. It, it, the first couple of ones I did years ago, it was a little intimidating, you know, especially as you start running bigger boats through the locks, you know. And, it, and it's 
I know some people do it with just one person, but it's, I mean, it's a, to my opinion, if you're running a 30 plus foot boat, it's a two person job. Mm-hmm. You really need to have one person. It's nice to have one person at the helm because we had a lot of turbulence when you're, when they're either going up or down, the water's bubbling in or bubbling out, you know, then it was windy a few times and it was nice because I was able to stay, there was four of us on the Rob's Marinette. So I was able to stay at the helm on the controls and then we had, you know, the fenders down and two people with dock poles keeping us off the wall and then one person with the line on the on the ballard i mean people go through these things in kayaks and canoes that's crazy and when you get up they don't have radio communication so there's actually a pull cord at the (laughs) end of each lock that they can pull and ring for the lock master to come down look over the wall and go great you're in a canoe (laughs) Can can i go ahead and say the chance of me going through a lock on a canoe or a kayak pretty low Pretty but, low. You know, yeah. good good for them. <laughs> yeah, I'd say zero for me. Yeah. I, I was about to say I'm more likely to get attacked by a shark in the Ohio. Hey, you know, I, higher, exactly, I'm, I'm with you. So, so uh, you know, Rob, um, you know, Mike and William, they've done it many, many times. Um, anything different than what you expected? Any surprises? And I'm asking uh, this for me and for others out there I like mean, me who haven't done it. It's intimidating the first time, and then you realize it's n- not really that bad. Uh, you just call ahead, make sure everybody has their life jack- jackets on, and, you know, listen to exactly what they say. You'll ask whether they want to tie up on starboard or port side. We actually had one of the locks that led us through by ourselves and told us just stay in the middle. Yeah, and I that was, was gonna, the first for me. I, huh. I was going to captain sure. that one, and I told Mike, nope, nope. you got it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Always look good to have a little curveball in there. Every yeah, day. yeah. So, yeah. Keep you on your toes. Uh, so, it just uh, be confident in it. Uh, it's not, it's not that hard. It's pretty fairly easy. So. Yeah. So uh, another question I've got. So um, you mentioned the Marionette, and that boat has kind of a cult following. That brand. Um, so we're all you know familiar with a lot of the big you know you know call international brands. You know Regal, obviously. I'm a little you know, you know uh, a fan of. Um, Sea Ray, others, uh, you know, some great brand, Tiara, down at Marine Tales. Um, but Louisville has a history with some local boat brands, Marinette being one. Yes. Um, some others, Mike, um, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, both Marinette and others. You know, what what's so special about that and what are some of the, you know, Louisville boat brands? Or William, well, yeah. William, I know a few. William's going to know a lot more about this subject than I am, but I know, like, Marinette was built out at the airport for years. Of course, uh, boats at the airport makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> um, Plucky Bomb, big brand around here regionally. Uh, Kingscraft, if I, th- if I think it was Kingscraft. And there was a, a few smaller, like Skipper Liner. There was a still, oh, still houseboat back in, I think, in the 60s and 70s that were built over at, uh, not Skipper Liner, uh, Sunliner. Sunliner. Sunliner, Correct. I'm sorry. That was built over at Jeff Boat. So there's been, you know, four or five different brands of boats built around our area that's and two of them are still big time the plucky bombs and the marinettes that's i mean they got a huge following they absolutely do um and it's they're all quality built boats mm-hmm. Th- these things weren't built in a the backyard they're all quality uh it, what amazes me is the amount of speed that the boats have the marinettes the plucky bombs they they they're very fast boats uh, and, and mike i don't know if you know this or not but the king's craft was actually owned by kings for charcoal uh, somebody told me that. Oh, really? Yeah. You. Small world. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then there's, um, with Plucky Bomb, I know they helped with several smaller companies uh, build boats themselves. 
It's, again, it's boaters helping boaters, even in the industry. Over at Kentuckiana Yacht Sales, we had the Jefferson Yacht, though those were imported from Taiwan and some from China, but that was a Jeffersonville, Indiana <coughs> company. Um, and then one of our biggest builders was uh, Jeff Boat, what originally was the Howard Steamboat Museum. They built all the big stern wheelers. There's a museum still now over there, but they built houseboats and river tows and barges there. And at one time, they were the largest inland ship builder. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Up so river from us in, ten, in uh, 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 Cincinnati was Tucker. Yeah. They made, uh, Mike Isaacs has a Tucker. Beautiful yeah. boat. Absolutely. So, so it, me being new to boats and me learning about the Marinette, I, I started to realize how much of an honor it was to bring her back home to Louisville. Absolutely. And, um, and yes, as we pulled back into downtown Louisville, we had a Marinette waiting on us that was going to follow us in the rest of the way home. Uh, a few Marinettes at captain's quarters blowing the horn at us as we were pulling into the creek. And it was just a really special moment. Um they, one of them got a picture of us riding alongside a bell of Louisville that is now hanging in my living room. Nice. So that was a cool picture. Awesome. Yeah. That was a really cool picture. Um, Lisa Platt got that picture, and I thank her for it. So uh, it, it's, uh, re- it really felt like an honor to bring her home to Louisville. Well, that's cool, man. That uh, you know, and, and and you know, and kudos to you for documenting the trip. You know, keeping all of us up to date on it as you went. Thought that was great. We all felt like we were kind of right there along with you guys doing it. And you know, I think it it inspires a lot of other people to go do stuff like that. It does me. So pretty awesome. And uh, you know, kudos for bringing the boat back home. Thanks. Uh, we're glad to have her. <laughs> She's Indeed. been amazing so far. Congratulations. Thank you. So uh, that's a that's a happy story. That's a good story. We like uh, there. Um, you know, we like to hear. Now, <coughs> recently down in Florida, obviously um, an unhappy story. We had a uh, you know devastating hurricane come through um, that impacted a lot of people, a lot of lives, a lot of um, a lot of property. Mike, you had a chance to go down there. You know, thank you for going down and uh, and helping out uh, where you could. Um, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about that and kind of what you saw down there with some of the the boating community that was uh, impacted by the storm. Yeah, so I've always kind of followed weather because obviously that goes hand-in-hand hand with boating. And so I was, as soon as the storm was kind of, you know, starting to develop, it went across Cuba. It looked like it was going to get close to, you know, I've got a lot of friends and family down in Cape Coral, Fort Myers area, south, southwest Florida. So I started keeping an eye on it. And then about the day and a half before landfall, it looked like it was going to take a right turn, and it did. So I started texting everybody, hey, you know, heads up. I know you're watching it. but And then as it was making landfall, I said, look, if it's worst case scenario, hopefully it doesn't. If it's worst case scenario, you know, y'all need anything, let me know and I'll get a trailer full of supplies or whatever you need and I'll bring it down, you know, as soon as I can. Well, the day after landfall, day and a half after landfall, when everybody started getting back to their homes and checking things out, they realized how bad it was. You know, most of them got storm surged, two to three feet of water in their house, so they lost everything. They had no access, there was no electricity at all in the whole area of Cape Coral and Fort Myers. So they had no access to gasoline, water, they didn't even have running water for seven days. Mm-hmm. Couldn't flush their toilets, couldn't do anything. So two or three of them called me up and was like, hey, I know you offered to help. We hate to ask you, but, you know, can you come down? I said, Absolutely. So but instantly I started, I called and picked up a trailer and started telling everybody what I was doing. Some people donated money um, and supplies, cleaning supplies, water, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got down there and um, I took a bunch of generators for people. So the first day I got there, got there on a Monday afternoon 
and drove around to four different spots, dropping off generators, ice, water, cleaning supplies. From there, we helped a friend move out all of her furniture. Well, two different people move out all their furniture because you know they had two to three feet of water in their house, and uh, it was bad. So we helped them just kind of you know clean up, mitigate, um, cut out drywall. I tarped roofs. Went and got more supplies for people, whatever they needed. You know, made sure generators had gas. And some like of that. these friends are Ohio River boaters oh, yeah. that have houses down yeah. there. All, everybody or down there that we know, <clears throat> supposedly I've heard rumor that there's like 75 different families from Louisville, and most of them are boaters or have been boaters on the river. That's how we know them from Oseport that live down there now or have homes down there. So I've known these people for, you know, 30 years. And obviously somewhere you can get to from here pretty, you know, we'll say easily, but you can get there from here, you know, going down yeah, the river right. and, you know, through the Gulf. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a destination. People around here split time and go to. So Yeah. And and the devastation, like I've, you know, I've seen hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff and I've responded. I used to do insurance restoration. So I've responded to, you know, storms and stuff. The devastation I saw down there was totally different. And it wasn't so much the wind was bad, but the storm surge. I mean, they got, Fort Myers got 15 to 18 feet of storm surge. Well, they've never had any storm surge like that in their history. And it was just the boats, there were 60-foot hatterses just picked up, like a giant picked them up and just set them, you know, quarter mile inland up on somebody's house. I mean, it was, there was boats everywhere. We had, There was a couple, the first day we were there, before they got some of the boats moved off the road, you'd have to drive in somebody's yard to get around a, you know, 30-foot walk around or center console or something. It was it was just insane. Yeah, it's incredible to see it. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks posting, you know, on social media, on YouTube, um, you know, one that I followed kind of, you know, loosely for a few years, I, 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 you know, folks that doing the Great Loop boat called Adventures and Happy Hours. Um, they're, I don't know if they've got a house or they're staying with somebody down there, but um, <clears throat> been watching his channel and uh, their boat is sitting in someone's backyard right now. It's a neighbor's yard. It's a, gosh, I think like a, a 40 foot meridian or something like that. Uh, that's just literally got picked up. He had it all tied down. It's now sitting in someone's yard and they're trying to figure out how to get it out of there. They're on a pretty narrow canal. You know, they probably need a 100,000-pound crane to come mm-hmm. get it out, but how are you going to get that in there? Yeah. And the um, interesting thing is the boat's not really that damaged. It's just sitting on land where it doesn't belong. Yeah, and that, that's 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 a good point. What I noticed, a lot of the boats that were on the canals are on lifts, or if, they're, if they were in a marina, they got beat, and ra- beat around and banged up pretty bad before they broke loose. Um, but a lot of the boats that were sitting in the canals on lifts, they got lifted up when the surge came in, and then they got gently pushed down. Like, where was four or five that I walked around? They really didn't even really have any scratches on them. Yeah, Whole, running like gear's still good. good. Running it's gear's good. Maybe some canvas or something yeah. messed up. But, but you know, it's on land. It's not where it belongs. So it's like yeah. fish out of water. You had to get a crane and pick it up. So, you know, obviously you guys, uh, you know, Mike and William, you've been in the boating business for a long time. What happens in a scenario like that? You know, we've got boats that are damaged. Some obviously clearly damaged. Some maybe subtle damage. But, you know, what, what happens from this point forward if you're a boat owner? You know, what, 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 what goes on? Are you worried about maybe some storm-damaged boats making their way up here? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a consideration. I mean, you know, sure. obviously, um, you know, it's like we always hear this about used cars when uh, after a big storm or yep. a big flood, watch out for these sudden great deals on, on cars with, uh, you know, maybe a suspect history. But, you know, what about that for boats if, you know, all of a sudden some – uh, better than expected deal shows up online from a boat down in Florida. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, you know, um, a, a good eye of a, a, a broker or a salesperson is going to be able to tell. I know if, a couple. A few. Yeah. <laughs> Might be two here. 
But the, um, uh, the smaller boats are harder to track. The larger ones are easier to track if they're documented vessels because we can run abstract a title, and that's going to tell us where that boat has been, uh, who's owned it, and if there's any insurance issues or liens against it. So the larger craft, we, we, can, we can study that. The smaller ones can be cleaned up pretty good, but some are every now and then I come across some that have been storm damaged, and it's very, very obvious. Uh, maybe not to the first time boat owner and uh, but a, a seasoned boat owner or a, a broker or someone that's had their hands in this for quite some time you can tell if the boat's been a storm damaged boat just by spending a, a couple time a little bit of time on it and crawling through it and the, you don't want your clients to have a storm damaged boat no not at all and you can tell a lot of times on a boat if it's repaired like if there's you know dock rash on the rub rail or it got you know pushed in or busted or whatever if it's done professionally it's going to be kind of hard to tell where it's been patched or refiber glass but if it's not done well and a lot of times it's not you can see a difference in the, the coloration of the gel coat or whatever you know maybe something the rail doesn't match up or the rub rail pieces don't match up Just little things like that to look for moisture meter moisture meter yeah, yeah find out how much moisture is in the boat yep so you've got boats that have been, you know, some, again, clearly damaged. You know, we've seen some, like you said, at marinas that were, you know, on pilings, just got really beat up. But I've always had a question, and, you know, and, um, you know, Mike, I saw you posting this, a different different issue going along the waterways right now. The, you know, as Hank Williams one day predicted the year, long ago, the Mississippi River would run dry. Yep. And we're seeing that a little bit now. But I know you posted a picture today from a marina on the Mississippi. It was in Memphis. In Memphis, so when boats, when large boats, you know, with, you know, a lot of running gear under the boat, when they settle in mud or get picked up and moved onto land like that, what kind of damage does that do? It always seemed like to me like that would just collapse a lot of things, but, you know, what do you, what happens when that? Well, and I'll let William speak to this. He's, he's going to be more uh, astute on that than I am. He's been around a little bit longer, <laughs> just a couple of years. Um, but... You know, if a, like that picture that I posted today, mm-hmm. that marina, if the boat settles down in that mud and that mud is, you know, fairly thick, it may not hurt the running gear too bad. You know, it may have been a prop or a strut or shaft a little bit. But, you know, if it it's actually on hard land. Yeah, no gift. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it, it could be catastrophic. Yeah, Mike's Mike's right. If it, if, if the boat goes to settle in, in soft mud, there may not be anything wrong with the bottom of it. Water comes back up. Clean out some strainers. You're, you know, yeah, you know. turn off your air conditioning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe turn that off beforehand, yeah. And yeah. I, I've, I've seen them sit in that stuff before, and, and it, it the boat seems to mold itself like a mattress when it lays mm-hmm. down, and when the water comes back in, it's fine. But if it's going to have to lay on rock or something hard or it gets set on a roadway like the hurricane has done, mm-hmm. uh, and the boat rolls one side or the other, you may push a strut through the bottom or – have prop damage, rudder damage. It's amazing though how strong a boat is. I've seen boats fall from um, off trailers. I've seen them in car accidents where someone's hit them, uh, where they a stand got knocked out and they fall over. It may bend a few things, but it's just amazing how strong a boat is and how easy it is to fix and repair and get the boat back boatable again. Yeah, that's a good point. Was <clears throat> all the boats we saw down there just you know tossed around up on the land or roadways or docks, pilings, whatever. Uh, you know, the, there was a 100-foot yacht. I forget the brand. There was a 100-foot yacht that broke free from uh, Tarpon Point Marina and washed about a quarter mile, quarter mile back the 
the bay up on, on a like a mangrove and we pulled up was talking to one of the guys he wasn't the owner but he was like kind of like security so nobody looted the boat and he said we've had divers we've been looking at it boat seems to be fine so you would think that it was going to get her back in the water <clears throat> yeah it's yeah. got to get her back in the water yeah. but yeah there's just because something happened like that happened doesn't mean it can't be repaired but it does underscore the need if you're looking for a boat and you're in the market right now and you know obviously you know maybe in a little while you know we'll see some of those hot deals come up it's a reason why you work with a, a good you know yacht broker somebody who can you know look at it i know they're both pointing mike and william both pointing at each other uh but mike either was, them um mike was pointing up in the air with one finger. well i was, oh, I was oh, telling god. william he's number one. Oh, got it understood <laughs> understood I, yeah he's but one. um but no it, it, for those out there that are customers future customers it, it's why you work with somebody who knows what they're doing um can look at those things with you it's why you get a survey it's why you go Absolutely. through the process um you know to make sure you're getting a good investment you know because obviously as you know it's an investment or buy a marinette that's all aluminum or buy a marinette that's all aluminum <laughs> that you can bring back to home like yeah. rob has done <laughs> but yeah. uh no that's great um you know i want I'm, i think that's awesome you've done that with the marinette that's and cool. uh, you know as a as a former uh, floridian thank you for going down there it, and, was, and it, it, was, it was very nice. I was in a position to, to help people, and it was awesome to be able to go down there and do it. And I'm actually planning on going back down probably in a couple of weeks to try to help some more. Boaters helping boaters. That's right. That's what we do. No, yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, well, there's a lot of boaters that pitched in and <clears throat> oh, donated. Yeah. And um, I know Steve Hudson went down, too, and he told me Monday that he said the biggest thing down there that they, that you couldn't find was ice. Yeah. Uh, I, I took down 30 bags of ice. I took down four coolers, one big Yeti, and that's when I was getting closer. <clears throat> I got to Tampa, and everybody said, we need ice. And you got to stop before you get to Tampa, because after Tampa South, Nothing's there. there was nothing. And you couldn't, I mean, if there was buildings still standing, they didn't have power, or that there was a run on the ice. So we took down 10 gas cans, 10 five-gallon cans of gas, and 30 bags of ice. Well, you just pointed out something that I think is, is important, and it, and, it, and it underscores you know, the boating community here and anywhere. And something I saw, you know, on social media watching, you know, friends down in Florida or, you know, on the, the great looper channels that are out there. I've seen it happen here, seen it happen at, you know, the lakes around the state. Um, people that are at different marinas, people that are, you know, shared spaces down there, they're, they're friends, they're communities. They're going to tell you, you know, Mike saw your boat, something's going on. You know, we're going to talk to each other. It's one of the great reasons we, you know, need and you know, I appreciate channels like, you know, Boat Owners United Louisville. It, it, you know, when something happens, people are talking to each other, and we need that. So, you know, cheers, we, guys. Yeah, yeah cheers. cheers. <laughs> uh, but um, we, we had a lot of bringing the boat up to Evansville. We had a lot of boaters reaching out like, hey, how y'all doing? What's going on? Where you at? Um, checking in on us and giving us tips, um, helping us out. So. It, it really says a lot to the boating community. and Yeah. There's definitely a camaraderie with, with all the, the boater community, especially on, anywhere, but especially on the river. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're glad for it. We want to keep it going. We want to make it better, and we want to promote it. So, uh, you know, guys, I don't know. If it, um, before we uh, wrap up today, any parting thoughts on fall boating on Rob's new family member i'm not ready to winterize the boat oh, yet no, so I'm, I'm i'm holding I'm ready to keep well, going i'm gonna keep you don't have to winter it. just because you have a couple cold nights the water temperature this weekend was what 67 68. 68 
So that ambient, you know, yeah. temperature coming Those off the water. Those engines are underwater. They're not going to Yeah, gonna, it'll help. Yeah. So you don't have to winterize just yet. Don't get scared by a couple cold nights. It's going to warm back up. Absolutely. So we'll probably do another show before we get to that winterizing time. Maybe go through a few tips about uh, what to do to enjoy, to get the most out of the boating season and keep it going a little longer. But any other uh, any other parting shots, guys? No, I'm just looking forward to this, uh, this next month. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. Absolutely. Yep. Same here. Well, guys, once again, to our guest, Rob and Mike from Boat Owners United Louisville Chapter, Musco Boatings, William Glass. Thank you. And then some guy named Ben over on the panel. Do I get a microphone next time? Next time, time no. one day, again. When you buy a motorboat. That's oh. Right. Oh, 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 yeah. oh. And your mic is now cut off. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, guys, once again, this is Steve Bryant, host Boat 502, cruising the Ohio River. Thanks again for joining us. And we'll be back with another episode soon. We'll see you. Boat 502 and the Cruising the Ohio River podcast are productions of RunSwitch PR and the Bluegrass Media Lab, Kentucky's premier digital production studio.